Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, praise and worship team. Fantastic time of worshiping the Lord. Uh, Acts chapter 10 is our text. We invite you to go ahead and turn there as we will read the Word of God today and study verses 1 through 8. The title of our message is More Than Meets the Eye. More Than Meets the Eye. We do welcome those of you who are worshiping the Lord with us online, and we just say a hello to you through Facebook or Twitter or YouTube channel. Go ahead and push your little share button there on Facebook. Let other people know I did the same thing. I brought my phone today. If y'all thought I was texting during the praise and worship, you're wrong. I was not texting. I was not checking the, the scores on sports. I was inviting as many people as I can to join in and worship with us here at Great Hills. And we do thank you for being here. And you're doing great, by the way. You're all socially distanced uh, from one another. You're wearing your mask. We appreciate that as you come into the service and as you exit. You're doing great, Great Hills. We love you. We just praise God for your faithfulness to God, your faithfulness in giving and serving and praying. And we're just, uh, we're excited what the Lord is doing. I want to mention just a couple of things before I pray for us. Uh, thank you, Trey, for praying earlier, but I want to call our church to just a moment of prayer. You know, one of our core values at Great Hills is to be a church that prays corporately, privately, individually, in small groups. And so we're going to pray here in just a moment. But right after the service, my wife, Ashley, and I, we look forward to meeting our guest. Even during these corona pandemic days, we still have people that come and visit with us. And my name is Danny. I'm the pastor here. My wife's name is Ashley. We have a welcome center right out these doors here to my left. I guess that would be if you're over here to your right. And we will greet our guest. And members, if y'all would help us with this, we have guests that come up to us and meet us. So members, if you're a member at Great Hills and you want to see me and you want to hug me and you do, many of you do, and I think that's wonderful, would you give those guests just a few minutes to come in and greet me first? Is that okay? Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Listen, I'm usually the last person to leave the church on Sunday. And so if you want to meet with me or just say hey to me and tell me, that was such a wonderful sermon. Bless you. Bless you. I appreciate that. And, uh, but no, serious, because we have so many people back there and so many members have crowded out the guests. So what we're doing is we're asking you very humbly, very pastorally, uh, very graciously, if members would just let our guests come. Now watch today, nobody comes. It'll be the funniest thing. No guests will come up and greet us and the members will go, serves you right. But anyhow, we're asking. The kind of things we talk about in staff meetings. Isn't that fun? That's it. Okay, so let's pray together. You ready to pray? Ready to worship the Lord in his word? Man, we've worshiped him in song. What a beautiful, beautiful time. Father, we love you. We're absolutely, utterly dependent upon you. You are the Lord. You are the light of our salvation. And God, you tell us in your word that there's nothing uh, too difficult uh, for you. Pandemics, rioting, a nation in chaos, political divide, ideological divides, theological divides. There's so many divisions, Lord, in our nation. And so, Lord, we are going to stand in the gap today. Lord, you say in your word, you looked. You looked for a person, anybody that would stand in the gap and pray. Lord, let it be known that we want to be those people. We want to pray for the hand of God, the favor of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God to come over us as a nation. Lord, I know 2 Chronicles 7:14 was not written to us, but I do believe, Lord, it's written for us. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. Oh God, we need your healing. We need a special touch from heaven. And so we are imploring you, God, we're asking you to have mercy upon us as a nation. Lord, have mercy upon us as a church, as individuals. Lord, cleanse us from our sin. Lord, and, and allow us, empower us to come into your presence with worship, with thanksgiving, with sacrifices of praise. Lord, there are many that are sitting in this very room today, God, they are perplexed. They are fretting and worried and fearful, and I pray for them. I pray for them as I pray often, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Lord, we pray today for leaders in our nation. What an incredibly difficult time to pastor a church, to serve as a business, and I can't even imagine what it would be like to be Donald Trump at this time in this nation's life. Oh, Lord, help him, give him grace, give him mercy, oh God, give him all the wisdom, Lord, the knowledge, the prudence, the understanding that he needs to make good, godly decisions. We pray for our governor. We pray for every person in leadership and authority that almighty God, we're praying, come on, Great Hills, let's pray to God for wisdom, oh God. We're asking you, Lord, we're begging you, oh God, to grant wisdom and favor and anointing and protection over these United States of America. We need God. We as a church are praying, Lord, praying, with all that's within us, for the mercy of God, the favor of God to rest upon these united, not divided states of America. And this is our prayer in the name of Jesus and all God's people said what? Amen, Amen. and we pray it, amen. We pray, pray, pray. So December the 17th, 1903, it was pretty much an ordinary day if you lived on the Outer Banks. And Ashley and I visited the Outer Banks, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, many, many times. There's not much out there except the beach. Now, on a December 17th, though, in 1903, it, there was a 27-mile-an-hour gust of wind, a headwind. And there were two brothers. They shared the last name, and they had this audacious goal. They said, we really believe, if God so wills, that mankind can be lifted off of the air in a rudimentary machine and we can fly. Oh, my land. 1903, people laughed, they scoffed. They said, it's not meant for humans to fly. If God wanted us to fly, he'd give us wings like angels. You crazy brothers, what is your problem? Other people were like, hey, I don't know. They may be on to something. So Orville and Wilbur write, December the 17th, all the planning, all the experimentations, all the previous failures, it all culminated on that one day, and guess what happened? They flew 120 feet in 12 seconds, and they went seven miles an hour, and then it fell. <laughs> the next time, same day, they went 175 feet, same day, they went the third time and they actually traveled 200 feet, an altitude of 10 feet above the ground. And they knew 
they were on to something. You see, December the 17th, 1903 in America, there was a whole lot more going on that met the eye. People may look at that and say, well, that was a colossal failure. See, they didn't fly. They only went 10, I mean, 10 feet in the air. I mean, come on. Today, we have aircrafts that travel 500 miles an hour. We have military machines and bombers and stealth fighters. I understand now that there's a flight that can get you from New York City to Paris in two hours. And if you go to the, to the capital of America today, and I've been many times and I've seen, has anybody seen the, the National Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian? That is one of the most fascinating exhibits in all of our land. And it all began December the 17th, 1903. You know, oftentimes there's a whole lot more going on than what the naked eye can perceive. Now, when you come to Acts chapter 10, uh, eight, uh, chapter 10, verses one through eight, you, you're gonna find with me, there's a whole lot going on. You, you're gonna read about a prominent city named Caesarea. You're gonna see a cool guy by the name of Cornelius, and you're gonna think, what, what am I missing, uh, brother? You're talking about more than meets the eye. What is going on? What are the dynamics converging on that day in Caesarea by the sea. Oh, thank you for asking. Because what's about to happen, guys, will eventuate and result to you being right here, right now, today. You're saying, come on now. What, what is so momentous? What is so, what is so cataclysmic? What, what is happening in Acts chapter 10 that would be a result of me being in church in 2020. Thank you for asking. Let's read the text. You ready? Man, there's a whole lot going on here. Let's read it. There was a certain man in Caesarea. By the way, there are two Caesareas. One is Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus and his disciples went. That's as far north as they traveled. But there's another Caesarea. It's called Caesarea by the sea. And it's this Caesarea that Luke is telling us about. And there was a certain man by the name of Cornelius. He was a centurion, which means he commanded how many men? A hundred men, that's right. And he was what was called of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man. And he was someone who feared God. Now, please underscore that, all right? Cornelius, we're gonna talk about people, places, events. We're gonna look at this text and after I read it, you're gonna go, what, what, what's going on here? What am I, what am I, and there's more, more, more than what meets the eye. A devout man and one who'd feared God with all of his household, who gave alms. In other words, that's a good way of saying he was a charitable man. He was a Gentile, Are you with me? He's not a Jew, he's called a God-fearer. He wasn't even a proselyte. And I'll explain the difference in each one of those in a moment. He was a man who feared God with all of his house and he gave alms, charitable gifts. He made large donations and he gave generously to people and he prayed to God always. I almost named the, the title of the sermon, uh, Real Men Fear God. I mean, th this, is a, this is a real man. This is a good godly man. Now about the ninth hour of the day, that is 3 p.m. Acts 10.30 says he was fasting, okay? So he's praying and he's fasting and he sees a vision, an angel of God. And the angel comes in and says to him, Cornelius. 
<laughs> and when he observed him, he was afraid. Now, wait a minute. He said, I thought he was this raw bone, tough man's man, centurion. Hey, you see a vision? You see an angel, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna pass out. I don't know about y'all, I'm gonna go, woohoo, what is happening here? And Cornelius was afraid. And he said, what is it? What, what is it, Lord, Curios? So he said to him, your prayers and your charitable offerings, your prayers and your pious deeds have come up for a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa or Jaffa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. That dawned on me. They had nice residences on the seacoast way before we ever imagined. Isn't that cool? Simon the tanner has beachfront property. He's hanging out, enjoying the view, and Peter is visiting him, and he will tell you, Cornelius, what you must do. Now, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius did the following. He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The story of Cornelius is covered in Acts 10, 11 and 15, 66 verses of canonical scripture is dedicated to Cornelius. He's not a Jew. He is a Gentile. And not only that, he was a military man. I don't know about y'all, but I have a lot of respect for people who are in the military, people who protect us as police officers. Man, I have a whole lot of respect for those people. I have a lot of respect for this guy, Cornelius. He is a man under authority. He is a man in authority. And what we're about to see is God is going to bring salvation for the first time since the church is formed to the Gentiles. Can I just share with y'all today, if you're not a Jew today, you're a Gentile. <laughs> How many Gentiles are in the house today? That would be probably 99 plus percent of us. Now, we probably have a few Jews or Jewish background people in the house today. But look, 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 what I just read to you. You said, well, that, that's, that wasn't very dramatic, Brother Danny. That's just a great little story. No, 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 no. It's more than meets the eye. Here you have salvation from God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Romans 1.16 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jews, come on now, to the Jews first, and then to the rest of us, praise God, to the Greeks. And the inception, the Genesis embryonic moment, when it all goes down, is when God gets Peter out of Joppa and transports him, brings him over to this city, Caesarea, and he meets Cornelius and salvation has come. Man, I love this passage of scripture. Remember this text with me? Zechariah 4.10 says, let us not despise the day of small things. Oftentimes, what appears to be insignificant and very inconsequential is when God is doing his greatest work. Let me say that again. 
what may feel like an utter tragedy, the worst travesty in your life. It could very well be that God is orchestrating, he's manipulating, he's working things for your everlasting good and your favor, but you can't see it right now. You don't understand it right now. Can I give you the preeminent example of all examples? In eighty thirty, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Son of God, bloodied, beaten beyond recognition, an outcast who's crucified on a stick of wood outside the gates of Jerusalem. I got chill bumps all over me, people, because here it is. What mankind could do in its worst, God has taken the cross of Jesus Christ. Just think about this for a moment. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, at the cross, at the cross of Jesus Christ when he was suspended between heaven and earth and he died and breathed his last, fast forward to today, that every single human being's eternal destiny hinges on what they do with that man on the cross. Woo! Come on now. A whole lot more going on outside the gates of Jerusalem than what meets the naked eye. Look, I don't know what all you're going through. God does. I don't know what your business is like. I don't know what your marriage is like, your finances are like. I don't know what the dynamics are going on, but there could be a whole lot more going on than what you realize. So let's be patient. Okay, hold on just a second. I got <laughs> There's just some sermons I got to preach. You be patient, dude, all right? As you're preaching to all those people, you practice what you preach. Okay, thank y'all for letting me have a moment because I'm not the most patient person in the world. And I don't wanna be a hypocrite. I don't wanna stand up here before you and say, you can ask my wife, I'm the most patient and virtuous man to ever walk the planet. It's just not true because I'm impatient. And I need to hear this, that God is working at Great Hills Baptist Church and God is working in my life in ways that I don't really understand. And I, I, can't, I can't figure it out empirically or with syllogism and logic and math. I, 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 there's things going on that is just way, way beyond me. Okay, I got to get going on my sermon. That's the introduction. Number one, there's a prominent, prominent city called Caesarea. If you're taking notes, I do hope you take notes. There's a lot going on here. It's the capital of the Roman province of Judea. Caesarea is where the Roman governor Pilate lived. Caesarea is 30 miles due north of Joppa, so that tells you how far Peter is gonna to have to travel from Joppa to Caesarea. 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Paul spent two years, y'all with me? Paul spent two years in Caesarea by the sea and in Acts chapter 26, he appears before the authorities in the large theater described there in Acts. I've been there. I've actually preached in this very theater, if you'll see it on the screen. That's me in Paul's theater preaching probably Acts 26. And many of you have been there. I know you have. And in the background of the, with me teaching there, you could see the, the sea. You can see the Mediterranean Sea, the coast. Now here, what you have is one of the most preserved cities. That's the Mediterranean Sea. 
And to the right, does anybody know what that is to the right? That is called a hippodrome. The hippodrome is where they had races, horse races. They tell me there was a big horse race just yesterday in Kentucky, but I don't know. I don't keep up with those things. I only lost a few dollars wagering. Just kidding. Just kidding. And so you have a hippodrome there. This, this, was, a, this was an incredibly important sea. Herod the Great, he started construction of Caesarea in 22 BC and finished it in 9 BC. It took him 12 years to build it. Herod said, this is such a beautiful place, Caesarea. I'm gonna name it Caesarea after Augustus. Anybody? Caesar, prominent city in the New Testament. Paul has spent two years there. While we were there this last time in 2018, our guide told us, and I never put this together, that can you imagine how important of a place this was that when the early church was being persecuted, they probably all came up to Caesarea and from there they would go out onto all the world and share the gospel with people near and far. And I thought, man, it all goes back to the man named Cornelius, a Gentile who lives here uh, at Caesarea. Number two, so we have a powerful man. And I'm just, I'm just walking you through the narrative. And I don't know how you do narrative homiletics. I don't know how they taught you how to do that in seminary, but th there's a lot of flexibility here. There's, there, there's just the best we can. We, we enter into the narrative and there are movements and there, there are people and there are places and there are events and there are circumstances. I mean, just think about, just think about the people we're talking about today. Cornelius and Peter, there's an angel there's servants, there's one guy that works under Cornelius and, and he's a military man and then you got two other servants. And so there's a lot of dynamics, there's a lot of moving pieces and I really believe that God says, watch this. Don't miss, don't miss any of this because all of this is so important because I'm orchestrating things. What looks mundane, what looks so unnecessary, what looks repetitive and, and it looks like it has no consequence whatsoever. Pay close attention because what I'm doing in Acts chapter 10 will affect the whole world. And I want you to get it. And that's why I spent so many hours upon hours studying this and learning these names and learning these people and praise God, I've been able to go over there and actually see Caesarea. And now here he is, Cornelius. His name, interesting enough, is Cornelius is, he's described as a good man, Eusebius. There's a church historian named Eusebius. His name means good. And that's Cornelius. And he's a powerful man. We talked about the Italian regiment, the cohort. He leads that. Everything stems from Rome. And Rome has spread out throughout the world. And Pilate, who represents Rome, lives here in Caesarea. So what was he doing in Jerusalem? When Jesus was crucified, he was there on business. He was there because there was, there was Passover and there was a ruckus going on and there was, uh, there was a guy that, I don't know, people are worshiping him and he's risen up and the people are following him. I better get down there and find out what's going on. So he leaves Caesarea by the sea and goes to Jerusalem. A legion consisted of 6,000 men, 10 cohorts, with 600 men. However, the backbone, the backbone of the Roman army was always the centurion. Uh, Polybius was a historian, and I, I have a quote here. He says this, they were to be good leaders, the centurions were, of steady and prudent mind. They were 
to be able, when overwhelmed and hard-pressed, listen to this, church, to stand fast and die and die at their post. So that's, this is our guy. Can I tell y'all something really interesting? Sure you can. Okay, listen to this. In 82 BC, there was a man named Cornelius Salus, and he freed, check this out, 10,000 slaves in Rome. I don't know how he did it, but his name was Cornelius Salus, 82 BC. By the way, Luke, what we're talking about right now, he wrote this in AD 63, so that's about 150 years, right? He freed, Cornelius freed 10,000 slaves. All of the slaves took on the name Cornelius. <laughs> they changed their name. All of them changed their name in, ooh, come on, ooh, come on. I just had a, I just had a moment. I hadn't put that together. Somebody else freed us and we all took his name. The name of Christian, Jesus the Christ. Ooh, thank you, Lord. Didn't see that one. That ain't nowhere in the notes. That's just a Holy Spirit moment. Thank you, Lord. I hadn't seen that before. Thank you. Somebody said if you, well, I don't know if I should share that with y'all. That's imported or not. Let me think about it. If God is in the preparation, he'll be in the presentation. That's, that's pretty good. Preacher, that'll preach. If he's in the preparation and you're studying and praying and fasting like I've been doing, you say, well, why do you do that every week? Ooh, why do I do that? Because of the word of God. I get to preach the word of God. I believe this book with all of my heart. And I want to live for it. I want to die for it. And I want to give everything I got to the preaching and the, the proclamation, the exegesis and the study of the word. Woo! Glory to God. The word of God is what we champion at Great Hills Baptist Church. We, we ain't going to blow no dust off the Bible at Great Hills Baptist Church. We're going to open it up and we're going to preach it. And by God's grace, we're going to live in. Grieves me that the most neglected book in all of Christendom today is the Bible. No, I'm being serious. Every, almost every growing mega church in America, I mean, that is, that is, seems to be just like, whoo, that's the coolest thing. Very little Bible. Very little exegetical, didactic, teaching of the Word of God. That breaks my heart. I don't know what that does to you. Praise God, I'd rather have 10 people studying the Word of God than 10,000 people there for an existential, existential metaphysical moment where it's all emotion and all application and no study. Of the, let me tell you something, friend. God's Word is worthy to be studied. His word, every detail is important. You're like, well, is that why you tell me all this stuff? Cornelia who and Caesarea by the what? what? It's all important. If it's in God's word, it's important. We're talking about this pious man. I love this man. I look forward to meeting him. Some believe that he was literally a descendant of one of the 10,000 slaves delivered by Cornelius Salus. Cornelius. 
He's a pious man. After reading verse two, I just got so excited. Look, look at this man. He is devout. The Greek word Eusebius, he's a good devout. He's one who feared God. Let me give you the three different groups of people. Got, oh, here we go. This is not Seminary 101. This is a church. What is our beloved pastor doing? I'm gonna teach you something, okay? Here it is. Three groups of people that lived in Israel. Number one were the Jews. Some of you ought to, unless you got a photographic memory, you ought to write this down. This is gonna come in handy when you're interpreting scripture. It's a good hermeneutical tool I'm giving you that will unlock the door on many passages of scripture. Number one, you have the Jews. We all know who the Jews are, monotheistic Jews. They're Father Abraham and many sons, many sons have Father Abraham, ba da 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 There they are, the Jewish people. Number two, you have what you call the proselytes. A proselyte was not a Jew, you with me? They were converted to Judaism. And even if they were an adult male, do y'all know where this is going? This is gonna be painful, okay? They would be circumcised. They would circumcise themselves because they are converting out of being a Gentile into Judaism, they are going to observe all the dietary laws. Are you with me? This is serious. They are called proselytes. Number three, there's a group called the God-fearers. The God-fearers said, I'm a Gentile, but I'm not as gung-ho as the proselytes. I'm not gonna be doing no circumcision and all these dietary laws. However, I am very much drawn to the monotheism, to the worship of the one God, of the the one God who created the universe. And we believe that the Jews worship that God. And so they, they were drawn to the monotheism. They were drawn to the cleanliness. They were drawn to the synagogues. That's our man, Cornelius. Okay, just kind of help put him in context. Man, he's a godly man. He's influencing his family. I just see it. He, in verse two, it says, he's one that gave generously to the people. He prayed always. He prayed more, he helped the poor. He's just a good man. He's a godly man. He said, well, wait a minute, he's a military man. Doesn't he, doesn't he have a foul mouth? And, and doesn't he do like the, like the other guys, you know, and just curse up a storm? And no, he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to use language like that. He's devout, he is a God-fearing man. Man, I wish we had some more. God-fearing men of God who would stand up and say, I'm gonna walk with God. I'm not going to be one of the 70% just this week who watched pornography. Church men included. Seven out of 10 of you looked at pornography last week. That's the statistic. And if that's the case, I just wanna say, come on, that's not being a God-fearing man. You can't do that and fear God. Come on, man of God. Come on, man of God. Let's rise up and be men of God, men who love our wives and we love Jesus and, and our eyes are pure. I will tell you something, old Cornelius, if he was alive today, he'd probably lay hands on some of us. So you quit doing that. Honor God, be devout. And he was, and he... He worshiped God, he prayed, he fasted, and he gave of his money. He's just the real, the real deal. And I got tremendous respect for him. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. 
So keep preaching like that. You'll have a heart attack. You'll go see him soon. Amen. So be it. Calm my fanatic down. I'd rather do that than raise up a dead corpse any day in the pulpits. Man, if the pulpits are on fire, then the church is on fire. If there is a mist up here, there's a spiritual fog all in the pew. And I don't want to be no misty preacher. I want to be some mamby, pamby, wimpy, 18 ways to get your life right. Sexy in my shirt. I don't want any of that, man. I want to be a man of God, preaching the word of God and challenging you to be the people of God. So are you, are you mad? No, I'm not mad. Are you passionate? Yes, I am passionate. Why? Because our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. My word, watching TV, probably shouldn't watch TV. People are eating dinner in a restaurant and these, these rioters, these hoodlums come in and throw their dishes off of the plate, off of the table. Like, what, are you, what are you doing? Scared people to death. The protesters and the rioters. What, what, what in the world? Have we lost our minds? We're losing our nation. You know why I believe it? Y'all ain't gonna like this. Because our men are wimps. We've lost our moral authority. We don't lead our families anymore. We don't pray with our wives anymore. We're so hooked on stuff that we're just neutered. I don't know if I can say that in, in preaching, but that's what's happened to us. We've just been spiritually castrated and our nation's going to hell. And I believe the two people to blame are the pulpits in America and the men in the home. I don't, I mean, it's not Washington. And I believe Washington's important. And I believe who you vote for is important, but more important, it's more important, it's men of God leading their homes, leading their families, doing what's right. Oh my God, help us. God, help our nation. Help our men, oh God, help our men to be men of God. I'm just so broken, church. I'm so broken over our nation and over what's going on. Oh, God, have mercy and wrath. God, remember mercy. There's a pastor in New York City that God really used him to challenge me. A couple weeks ago, I was listening to a, an interview with him. His name's John Tyson. and He serves the church in the city. It's called the Church in the City in New York. Every morning, he's up. He said, there's only two people up in New York City the same time I'm up the Wall Street bankers and the homeless people. We're talking about a disparity. Either the Wall Street bankers or homeless people are up at O dark 30. And you know what Pastor John does? Praise God for people like this. He goes up and down the streets of New York City and he prays in Jesus' name. Prays, prays, and prays some more. I think that's our only hope. He told the story of... Uh, of a missionary overseas who was serving as a pastor to a group of people and one group of the people, he said, I could see them. 
I could minister to them. I could teach the word of God to them physically and be present. But there was another group of my people. They were in the mountainous region and it's covered in clouds and rain. And, and, and I was absolutely physically prohibited from getting to my people whom I loved very much. I could not see them. Are y'all with me? Two groups of people. One group he can see, he can pray for them, he can touch them, he can love on them like we're doing his today. The other group of people are up in the mountain. So he said, this is what I'll do. I will pray hard for them and then I will just keep teaching and preaching to these people. And in six months, I'm gonna find out who fared the better. Are y'all ready for this? Oh my word. This pastor missionary, he said, I was blown away. The people that I could only pray for were thriving in their relationship with Christ. They were making disciples and they were just, it was unbelievable. And all I did <clears throat> was pray. Hey guys, sometimes there's a whole lot more going on than what meets the eye. Because God is working. God is organizing and orchestrating a plan. The last thing I wanna share with you today is this pivotal plan of conversion. It really is the climax because if you stay with me in Acts chapter 10, you're gonna celebrate like nobody's business when that man gets saved, when Cornelius gives his heart to God. Here's the plan. In verse three, he's praying and he's fasting, has the angelic visit, 3 p.m. Angel said, do two things. There were two things have come up for a memorial from you, Cornelius. Come on, church. It was praying and giving. And by the way, things have not changed. Don't tell me how pious and how much you love Great Hills Baptist Church and you don't pray and you don't give a dime. You're not as near as godly as you think you are. <clears throat> now that probably offended a lot of you, so let me just keep going on. The phrase at the end of verse four says, and these these gifts have come up as a memorial before God. Look, his piety and his charity, it, it was like smoke ascending to God's nostrils and God's, God's looking down on this man. Who is this man who's so generous and he's giving and he's praying? Verse five, here comes the pivotal plan that Cornelius forever he's involved in. He's just a Roman soldier, right? but he's gonna meet an apostle Peter and things are about to unfold. Verse six, the angel tells Cornelius the specifics. Peter, stay in with a man named Simon, who is a tanner. Go get him. So Cornelius, this is what you must do. I don't know if y'all saw this in the text, but in verse six, it says, you must go to him. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you, here it is, must do. That is the Greek word, die, D-E-I. Listen, listen, church, look, watch this. That's the same word that Jesus told Nicodemus. Marvel not, John 3, 7, that I say unto you, you die, D-E-I, you must be born again. This is a word of constraint. It is a deep word of motivation. It is a word that I've got to do this with all that is within me. But lo and behold, God showed me this. As good as Cornelius is, and as much as he prays, 
And as much as he gives his alms to heaven, he is not prepared to go to heaven. Did y'all see that? That's why it was imperative for Peter to get to him and tell him the gospel. Come on, church. That's powerful. So all of our Jewish friends, no matter how pious they are, and our Muslim friends, no matter how much they read the Quran, they are not going to heaven unless they go back to what happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. And if they believe that and trust that that is God's remedy for our problem of sin, unless they do that. Look, guys, if Cornelius is not going, I don't know many people who are going. Why didn't the angel just say, Cornelius, dude, you are amazing. And don't worry about Peter. He's just going to confuse you with some story about death, burial, and resurrection. You're okay. Shh. It's not what the angel said. He said, Cornelius, you're a religious man. You, got, you even got heaven's attention, but I'm telling you, you need to be saved. You need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. Spelled backwards. Wow. Verse seven, Cornelius immediately obeys the angel's directive. He sends three men to go get Peter in Joppa. The soldier he selects is also Eusebius. He's also good and devout. He wasted no time. Somebody described obedience like this. Obedience is doing what you're told <laughs> without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Verse eight, this is why I kept editing the sermon, Kathy. Kathy's probably, how many times I'm gonna print this sermon? Then God showed me this and I had to share it with you. That's why I'm still preaching and it's 12 o'clock because I, I thought this was so amazing that I didn't want you to miss out. I don't care, bro. I'm just hungry, please. Let us go. Like Israel of old, let them go. Just let them go eat. Man, we are eating. We're eating. Philip, we're eating the Word of God. Man, we're, we're in the Word of God. Man, what? Amen, let's eat. Did y'all know that the Greek word in verse 8 where it says Cornelius explained? You say, what is he explaining? He explained all these things to his servants and the soldier and then sent them to Joppa. Here, here's what's so cool about this. The Greek word is exegeomai. It's where we get the English word exegesis. No, just, just stay with me. This is really, really cool. Cornelius, raw bone, Roman centurion, large and in charge, go. They are like, yes, sir, amen, we're out of here. But that's not what he did. He got his servants around him. God, God, this is a good man. And he goes, guys, I'm gonna give you a directive. I'm gonna give you an order. And okay, sir, yes, sir, where do we need to go? Hold on, hold on, just hold on just a second. Let me explain. Are y'all with me? Can I explain to you what's going down? I got a visit from an angel. And he commended me and yet he challenged me. And this is so important, guys. Please listen, this is so important. I'm gonna look really, really foolish if I, if I just ate way too much, whatever they ate back then, and, and I'm having heartburn, I'm seeing visions and stuff. But I, as best I can tell, you gotta go 30 miles. And 
and I, I know we're in Caesarea, but you, you gotta go 30 miles south. You, you gotta go find a man. Guys, please don't think I'm, please don't think I'm crazy, but the angel said, his name is Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon the Tanner. Would, guys, we, are y'all okay with, or y'all think I'm crazy, don't you? You think I'm crazy, don't you? I'm not crazy. What I need you to do is go get this, go get this man. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know why it's so important that an angel had to appear to me. I must be a knucklehead at times. It took an angelic messenger to get my attention. Now, guys, that's what he was doing. All of that's in exegeomai. He could have just said, you're a private. Get your rear end down there and go get this guy. Come on now. That's not the kind of guy he was. You said, but I think men's men are rough exterior and they're tough and they just say jump and you just say how high. No, that's not good. A good man, a godly man, leads, he leads his family well. He treats his wife with honor and deference and puts her needs above his own. He gets down and explains to his kids what's important and what's not important. Man, he, he gets into his workplace and he tells the people that work for him, look, man, I love you. I got a lot of respect for you. I know I'm your boss. I know I'm an employer. I know I signed your check, but you matter to me. And I, and I just want you to know that I care for you. And here's some things I need to share with you. Man, what if we had those kind of men, those kind of men leading our, our homes and, and the same could go for women. Women of God who are in positions of leadership and authority and they, they have this spirit of deference about them. They have this, not the spirit of air of superiority, but they do a lot of exegesis and they take time and they, they explain to their employees and they say, but I care for you. There's a lot about this man that I love, Cornelius. Pious, powerful, prayerful, godly man. And it's all tomorrow or next, tomorrow, I don't know what y'all doing on Labor Day, but Brother Danny's laboring. We're getting our house painted. Woo-hoo, party over here. It's expensive to paint your house, by the way, if anybody's curious. But we're selling our house, and when you sell your house, you need to get it nice and pretty. There we go. You say, where are you moving? We're moving to Liberty Hill. Got any Liberty Hill neighbors up there? All right. God bless you. We got some Liberty Hill people in the house. Because I want to plant a church up there. I do. And God won't let me alone until we do that. And I want to help do that. You say, what are you going to do on Sunday mornings? I'm going to be right here preaching to you. Man, God. Man. How much time we got, church? How much time we got before the king comes or before we self-destruct? Hey, if we're going to plant a church, we better start planting a church. If we're going to go tell our neighbor about Jesus, we probably ought to go ahead and start doing it. I have no idea what I'm doing. But the last one turned out pretty good, right? The church, we planted it. We didn't have a zero money. We're millions of dollars in debt. We planted a church, now, we, now we're not in debt, and that church has tripled in size. Praise God, it hit straight licks with crooked sticks. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Lord, I don't need to know everything. I just want to trust you, God. But I'm begging you, God, please, just lead me. Show me, oh God, I want to be obedient to whatever you tell me. Jesus, please just lead me. You know what I mean, lead these people, Lord. Lead them well. 
to you and if we could reach many, many more people with the gospel. This is my prayer. This plan that I'm reading to you, it worked. It worked then and it's working today when the people of God go to people that don't know God. They become the people of God and the kingdom of God just expands. Everybody that came in contact with Cornelius got saved. How about that? Everybody that came in contact with Cornelius gets saved. Look, I've read the rest of the story. I know what goes down in Acts chapter 10. There was a guy in our church, the last church I pastored in Arkansas, and it was said of him, everybody that comes in contact with Fabio gets saved. Fabio, that's a, that's a kind of interesting name. I hope my grandkids, none of them are named Fabio. But anyhow, I, Fabio is just interesting. It's interesting. I have visions of hair and I don't know. Maybe I'm just on my age, but. Fabio Nass was seven feet tall. That's tall. Yeah, you know, I make a lot about being six, six in heaven. But how about seven feet tall? And Fabio played basketball at University of Miami Hurricanes. He came to our church. Terry, how in the world did he get to Lavaca, Arkansas? But Fabio, y'all, he's like two feet taller than me. That's ridiculous. I say, hey, Fabio, and I'm looking at his navel. I'm looking at his navel. <laughs> now, that's weird, you know. He's seven feet tall. He loves Jesus. He leads his sister, Fabienne, that's her name, Fabienne, to Jesus, and then he leads Fabienne's fiance, Fernando, to Jesus. I guess when a seven-foot person witnesses to you, repent, right? Oh, yes, sir, repent, amen. He's from Brazil, Adamir. He's from Brazil. Y'all, God's sending us a bunch of cool Brazilian people to our church. It's the coolest thing. Uh, they speak Portuguese, and that's awesome. And he starts to witness to his parents, and they're not having it. <laughs> you ever try to talk to somebody about Jesus? They're like, no, not interested. Not interested. But he prays for them for a year. He's in our church. He's praying for his mom and his dad, and, and then they come to America. And they spend a month with Fabio. Fabio ends up marrying Emma. She's not short. They're probably gonna have kids that are like eight feet tall. It's, it's, the coolest, it's the coolest thing. I mean, she's like pretty tall for a woman. I digress. Anyhow, so they, they come to our church for a month and they hear me preach the gospel. During the invitation, Fabio leans over to his mom and his dad and he says, the pastor is preaching the gospel. He's, he's translated in Portuguese. And what he's doing right now is he's, he's calling people, come, come to Christ, believe on Jesus, be saved, mom, dad, I've prayed for you for a year. You're in my country now. And, and this pastor up there, bless his soul, I know he's a lot shorter than all of us, but bless him, listen to him, preach the word. Would you like to give your life to Christ? And they said, yes. They said, we would. So here they come. Fabio's coming down the aisle and he's got his mom and dad and they meet me at the altar and they explain to me what's going on. And I said, well, pray with me, dear Lord Jesus. And Fabio trans, he says, dear Lord Jesus in Portuguese. They say, dear Lord Jesus in Portuguese. And that night we baptized them. I baptized both of them. 
I'm so glad the dad wasn't seven feet tall because that wouldn't happen. You know what I'm saying? I'd have to jump up and grab his nose and bring it down. It'd be awful. But they, they, all, they got baptized, the mom and the dad. Everybody, it seems, now he's in the ministry. Fabio's in the ministry. Seems like people that he comes in contact with get saved. That's the same thing that could be said about Cornelius. Come on, church. Come on. Oh, to God, that could be said about you. Oh, to God, that could be said about me. That everybody we come in contact with, they hear about the Lord. I don't know about y'all, but I'm tired. Are y'all tired listening to me? I'm tired. I think I'm just about wore myself out. Can we pray? Can we just do business with God? Can I ask you to make commitments to the Lord? Would you bow your head, men? Oh, men, had no idea the Holy Spirit was going to be all on me about you men today. Would you lead your family well? Would you be a Cornelius and care for people? Be pious, be prayerful, be fasting. Do what Job says, I'll make a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look at anything, any worthless thing. I'm going to be walking with God and be pure. Guys, we're flawed. We can't do this on our own. That's why we have to be discipled. That's why we have to have men in our lives talking to us, praying for us, asking us how we're doing. Man, let us help you. Please, let us help each other as iron sharpens iron. So a friend, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Great Hills Baptist Church, what is God doing? What, what is he doing with me? What is he doing in our church? And why is he just, he just won't let me stop about this passion about planting churches and reaching people with the gospel? I have this urgency. Now your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, but some of you are thinking, we are never letting you go on sabbatical again. You have lost your mind. You're just fired up. You're crazy. I should have done that a long time ago because you're getting a much better pastor for it, one that's rejuvenated and refreshed and not dragging. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you saying? Show us. Show me, oh God. Show me the people that's supposed to be out there. Show me the homes that we're supposed to meet in. Show me, God. And give me favor. Give us favor, oh God. To not only reach Georgetown, Liberty Hill, but Gerald. God, give us Gerald. Help us plant churches there as well. But God, the light that shines the furthest, it shines the brightest at home. At home, oh God. For this church, God, this place. May revival fall. God, may fire fall upon us here at Great Hills. Lord, may we... May we be a people so passionate for you, God, that are not complacent, that are not hooked on something, but just in love with Jesus. Lord, the man that taught me more than any other man about preaching and about my walk with you, God, is going to be here preaching in my church next Sunday. Lord, I have so much respect for Pastor Johnny. I pray that you would anoint him and use him Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And Lord, of course, I want our people to come. I'm just talking, thank you all for just listening. I'm just talking to Jesus. Lord, I just want them to come. I want them to come and I want them to be fired up. Lord, I want, I want 
many people to come Sunday night and hear this pastor, this, this fired up preacher preach the gospel and challenge us all to who's your one, who's the person you're witnessing to. Lord, would you do something special in us Sunday night? And then on Monday morning, a week from tomorrow, God, would you help us do that? Would you help us show up and learn better how to share our faith and engage lostness? But Lord, there's somebody. Mm, mm, mm. Who are you, sir? I, with my spiritual eyes, I see you watching us on the screen. And I'm telling you today, repent. Turn from your sin and believe. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can break your addiction. He's the only one that'll make you holy and pure and so that you walk with God and you're a godly man and a godly husband and father. Return, go, receive Christ today, right now, right now. And those of you that are here in our church, we're we're gonna sing a song and we're gonna have a couple of announcements and then, then we're leaving. And guests, I, I really would love to meet you. I wanna to talk to you and say hello to you. And members, and I just, I, I do, I appreciate you and I love you. And I thank you for being patient, for being patient with me. Lord, maybe it's because uh, you do desire great things for Great Hills. It's why you're wrecking me, God, in my soul and just giving me a hunger and a passion for you, Lord, and for this people. So, Father, I'm praying that as we sing in a moment, and Lord, if people need to go, let them go. Lord, I'm I'm done begging people to stay at Great Hills. I'm done begging people to do the right thing. God, just let them go. Let them go eat. Hallelujah. Be blessed. Go eat. But Lord, this help us stay some. Just stay and sing. Sing one more time to the praise of the glory of God. Lord, we're hungry for you. We're desperate for you. Lord, all of us. Lord, I know our altar is supposedly closed because of COVID. Why don't, why don't we just break that protocol for just a moment? If you could socially distance men, why don't you come to the altar? You say, well, I would, Brother Danny, but I, I, I got to watch the U.S. Open on tennis. It's, it's on. I, I'm sorry. I got to go. Well, go. Others of you hungry, go, go eat. If anybody wants to stay, and just, just pray at the altar. Now, please, if you come, wear your mask and socially distance. But I don't know about y'all, but I just need to do business with God. I'm just going to go pray. And Ashley, you want to give me something, give it to me, baby. I don't care. We ain't got it by now. Just, let's just pray. Ashley and I are going to pray at the altar. Jeff, you lead us. Man, y'all sounded so good a minute ago. All of y'all sounded so amazing. And you, you engaged the congregation. That was really cool. I, I love that. So I'm just going to pray with my wife. Some of you men want to pray. That's awesome. You say, well, I'm a woman and I just feel excluded. Then you come. You come and pray too. And it's 1215. And if you need to leave, then leave. Jeff, come on, sing. And man, let's pray, do business with God before we leave this place.